It's the end of 2017, and somehow, we've made it. If there was one good thing about this year, it's that it was a fantastic year for gaming. So let's talk about that, shall we? Hello everyone, and welcome to the Sprice and Dice podcast, where we talk about gaming news, reviews, opinions, and thoughts, all in 45 minutes or less. My name is Wyatt Krause, and I am joined by Eric and Adam. Hello. Hey. This podcast episode, we are recording on December 20th, and it is dedicated to both video games and board games because it's our last podcast of the year. We're going to partake in the time-honored tradition of lists. All three of us have taken some time to put together a top three list, making one for both video games and board games, with a couple of honorable mentions that didn't quite get on either list for one reason or another. So, I mean, the biggest question I think we have before we really kind of start arguing this out is, which one do we start with first, video games or board games? Board games. Executive decision. I'm the boss here. If you say so. You can keep thinking that. It's okay. Okay, so which one of us three should go first? Rock, paper, scissors. Why don't we just go down the line? They can't see the line here on the podcast. Oh, uh, li- uh, listeners, Happy New Year, by the way. Eric is sitting to my left, <laughs> I am sitting in the middle, and Wyatt is sitting to my right. right. So I figured we could just start with Eric and go down the line. We'll start with Eric, and we're going to start with the honorable mentions. My honorable mention for board games goes to Netrunner, actually. Um, Netrunner did not come out this year, which is why I'm not putting it on the list proper. However, the core set 2.0, the revised core set, did just come out. The first rotation has gone through... Um, there's a new Most Wanted list with bans and restrictions, and all of this has come together to put the game into a much better place than it's been in a long time. So that is why I want to give my honorable mention to Netrunner 2.0, quote-unquote. I haven't played Netrunner in about maybe two years by this point. I hate to say I can't believe it's been two years, because that's a fantastic game. It's like one of those games I want to get back to when I have time. Just We like- play literally every week at game night. So here's a, here's a great point, Wyatt. You have a lot of the old cards. You basically own the revised know, core already. If you don't care about the alternate arts that are in the new revised core, you can just take out the stuff that's rotated and play with all the old stuff again. And it's just as relevant. I really have to hand it to Fantasy Flight because they really did a lot of rebalancing, asking what would be fun for new players in addition to what they were keeping in the game with this revised core. And they really have a great balance too so if you if you are looking to get like a friend into it or you just want to get back into it yourself it's it's a really wonderful time everything's better balanced than i think it's ever been my honorable mention for board games comes out for the tigris and euphrates reprints so again this gets an honorable mention because strictly speaking tigris and euphrates did not come out in 2017 it's a relatively old game right but it's a relatively older game yeah but the reprint with the nice plastic pieces for the monuments and uh the leaders uh came out this year and i thought since i didn't own a copy of the original it was the perfect time to pounce on you know kind of getting a classic into my collection I remember we played that at Child's Play, right? At the Child's Play event we ran? We did. I was going to ask uh, what, what you thought of it. I thought it was really interesting. It's always fun for me when you go back to older games and you see you, uh, where you kind of had the process from Risk and Candyland and kind of very basic games to, all right, let's make them as complex as possible. I love and that very you just put abstract. Risk and Candyland in the same well, sentence. Like that, that, era, <laughs> that era where it was very much like, here's yeah. some very basic concepts, here's how you play. Right. And then you go on to the next step, which is like, 
it's like when you go to like advanced Dungeons and Dragons and you look back at that now and you're like what the hell were they thinking but at the same time in that era it made sense because you're kind of going from a very basic simple system to alright let's swing to the other side how complex can we make things I, I almost think of it the flip side of that like this scratches the same itch as like a good game of chess does for me but it, the rules are simpler, I feel like, to learn than playing a game of chess. But you still have all those great little strategic options of, like, where do I put my tiles? When do I start a conflict? Can I toss my leader into your city to cause an uprising and make it easier for me to take something over later? Or do I just give up and go carve off some other corner of the board where you can't mess with me for a little while? Oh, okay, you know what, I think what it is is I'm so used to kind of the modern Ameritrash games with all the big minis and kind of having everything kind of You want a lot out. of minis. I do. I, I've, I've moved away from that, but when you go back to Tigers and Euphrates, which is very abstract and for it pulled back, that's probably what did it for me. Yeah. Plus, I don't own a lot of, I, I don't own a lot of tile-laying games, mm -hmm. so I thought, I thought this was another excellent opportunity to not only get my hands on a classic, but also get something in my collection that I kind of didn't have a lot of. My honorable mention is only not near the top because it's not technically a board game. And Eric probably knows where I'm going with here. It's The World Turned Upside Down, the mega game I got to play at PAX Unplugged. I'm so yeah. happy you put a mega game on here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't part of that mega game, but Wyatt's been talking about it nonstop since. Well, I know you stopped in the room afterwards, like during <laughs> oh, the last yeah, year or two. Saw, saw a bit of the chaos. So, um... Very brief, Mega Game is pretty much a role-playing game for 60 to 80 people. That's, that's, that's the easiest way to summarize it. The World Turned Upside Down is one where you're redoing the American Revolution, which means you can cause all sorts of crazy stuff to happen. And it's that one was a relatively short one at about four hours or five. And it felt like two hours. I could have done that, except for my voice being hoarse, I could imagine doing that a lot more often if it was available to me. Because it was a lot of fun. I met a lot of great people. I hugged it out with half of my spy masters that I ran for George Washington. It's a fantastic time. You know, uh, going to PAX Unplugged in future years, you should keep an eye out because actually when I had played the uh, Watch the Skies mega game, mm -hmm. that's uh, the one with the aliens and it's modern day, uh, a couple of PAXs ago, last year when we went to PAX East, the guy who was my vice president... Um, found me at the board game pre-celebration mm -hmm. and told me to come sign up for the new mega game that year too and he wanted to be on a team with me again and that was great for me because yeah. on friday night on friday night i that's when we did the mega mm -hmm. game and for the rest of the time i'd walk by people spy master and I, the people that were the british you i'm the only one here who hasn't played a mega game you gotta do it next year next, next year hey, PAX, new year's resolution play pax east game. is going to be four days instead of three next year that's so true, you could always so. carve off a day for a mega game all right, I think we should get on to the actual lists, though, so uh, for you. All right, uh, in my number three spot, I put Laser Riders by Greater Than Games. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, it's not higher up on the list because it's... I can't call it a fantastic game, but it is a lot of fun, and it's on the list because I've never played anything quite like it. Laser Riders is the most 80s-tastic thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Seriously, just look up the spelling of it. And everything's neon, and it's a board game version of the, the light cycles from Tron. And you have to lay down your track to go through these prisms in the middle of the board to claim them for yourself. Uh, turning, there's a chance you could fail to turn. You have to roll a die for it. 
if you crash into another rider, you leave the trail behind you, like in Tron. If you crash into another rider's trail, you explode and have to start over. I think one of the things I like the most about it is that we're, depending on where you play, it's going to change the game because it depends on the table you're playing. So if you're playing yeah. on a long, thin table, you've got something totally different on your hands. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. There's no standardized board for it. You just play on whatever table you've got. <laughs> so, yeah, number three for me, Laser Riders. Number three for me is going to be Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. 4th Edition just came out this year. I have never owned or even played a Twilight Imperium game before this year, and something I've come to appreciate in my board game collecting is you can get games that are similar-ish, like if you're looking for like a light 4X board game, but if you really just want to go all the way and get the full experience with something, you really just should set aside the time and the people and the money to go get the game you want. And mm -hmm. the game I've wanted for a while was this one. Um, we played a game of it a couple of weeks ago, Eric, along yeah. with Otto. And you want to talk about five-hour games that felt like they were two hours. That is yeah. exactly everyone's comment by the time we got to the end of this thing. The only reason why I haven't played Trial Imperium with you yet is that it's the end of the year and I'm trying to write as many reviews. And we have a review stack. Do it's events true. as possible. So it's one of those things where... I can't justify myself sitting back there, but I love. We'll drag you game. into it soon enough. One day I yeah. want to. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's everything that I thought it would be when I sat down with it, and it's so much easier to teach than I thought it would, considering how big you think it is. You look at the size of the box and you think, oh god, this thing's going to be overwhelming. But really, it's just a lot of components because there are so many different alien races and components mm -hmm. for yeah. six players in the box, but. It's yeah, not for, that for, much. for how complex it is, it's very easy to play. I feel like the theme makes it very easy to play too, because you're like, what do I want to do? I want to build some ships so I can shoot at Eric. I need this, that, and that, and it's done, and it makes sense in my head. So, I'm looking forward to shooting you guys up in space even more in the near future. <laughs> you will never enter Trade Boy space. Yeah, uh, listeners, we should point out that Eric played the Emirates of Hakan, which are the space lions that are right on the front of the box on his first game. Uh, and if you've seen Eric on our social media, yeah, it's him playing a bunch of space cats, like, why am I not surprised? For my number three, I found a game that's really fun, pretty inexpensive, and also just really good to teach other people to kind of get people into slightly more complex games, which is Unearth by Brotherwise Games. I think it's a great game. It actually sort of shows that you can have a dice game that still feels balanced and it kind of plays with dice to let you hedge your bets, as it were, in order to try to get the best effect for you. I've played it a whole bunch of times, probably with about 12 to 15 different people, and I've always asked their reactions. And I've never gotten a negative reaction. I've got a few. Dice things aren't quite my game. And for those that really like games without any chance, maybe not for them. But for people that want something that's like a light quick game that's not exactly a filler. There's still a little bit of meat on Spones. I think it's a fantastic game for that reason. I think this game is is great. I, You know how many board games I have at this point. Mm -hmm. And I still wouldn't turn down a game of Unearth if you were like, hey, let's, let's play a quick game of Unearth while we're waiting for folks at Game Night. I would definitely say yes. I'm also a sucker for pixels, so I think the art is gorgeous. Mm. All right. Uh, number two, then. Speaking of dice... <clears throat> My number two slot is Rail Raiders Infinite by Ninja Division. And this game is just, it's quick, silly fun. You are robbing a train in the future. Uh, it's, you know, the 
episode one of Firefly that's arguably not the first episode where they right, rob the train. Right, it's, right. it's basically you're doing that. It's like a floating train. Yeah, you're robbing a future train. Yeah. And in space. Exactly. Don't ask how it works when people get thrown off of it. <laughs> I, I always figure they just catch onto the railing at the back, pull themselves back on. For me, this one is a fun game. It's a very silly game. It Where on Earth feels balanced, Rail Raiders does not. Like, if you lose in that game, you can lose by a lot. Yes, definitely. Um, but, you know, it's over in, like, maybe an hour. It, it doesn't... You don't even really care if you lose too quickly. I would say, yes, if there's one downside to it, it might be a little too random. There's a lot of different elements of random chance in there that can stack up against you, or like the one game we played where we wiped out all the law bots and wound up with nothing to do for the last few rounds. Mm -hmm. Except just shoot at each other trying to take pennies from one another. Yeah. Yeah, when a game has that many random engines, sometimes they'll just all, like, all the gears will just clog up all at once. But not to take away from Eric, you're not playing this game for a balanced experience. You're playing no. this because of the theme and the ridiculousness of it. That's what Ninja Division is really good at, is kind of taking a really fantastic universe, usually based around Japanese anime and a lot of homages, and kind of just putting it into a board game format. And this one kind of hits a really good mark, because you got Super Dungeon Explorer, other games that are very large and chunky to set up and put down. This one's a lot faster to put together. And mm -hmm. Yeah, very quick to set up, very quick to play. And, well, not in the base game, but in the expansion, you're talking about how they reference all these different animes and what and whatnot. Let's see. You got Typhoon, who's Vash the Stampede in the expansion. You got uh, Canton Cobb, Jane. Yeah. You got uh, a Thorn, right? Right, Spike, yeah, from Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it clearly does not take itself seriously. It's just a lot of fun. And it's definitely best played with that in mind. You just get some friends together, maybe have some beers, chuck some dice, laugh. It's good for that. My number two pick is a bit more serious. Anachrony by Mind Clash Games. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This one is worker placement in a post-apocalyptic future. Pre- and post-apocalyptic future. Well, technically one cataclysm has hit and most of Earth is a wasteland, but there is a second apocalypse. Okay, okay. Like, coming to basically finish off the Earth. Oh, missed a bit. <laughs> um, and because they're all dabbling in time travel, A, they know this, and B, the time travel creates this really cool, what is basically a loan mechanic, mm -hmm. but really thematic, where if you need something, you can get free resources from yourself, from the future. It's amazing. And now you can do what you wanted, but just don't, you know, forget to pay yourself back at some point in the future and send those resources back. Otherwise, horrible paradoxes will happen. Um, and it's just, it's a very crunchy, very heavy, but very beautiful art, very tight mechanics. Mm. When I think about really nice, heavy games that I got this year, this one definitely takes the cake. For my number two, speaking of very crunchy games, I think this is actually the second game that's coming from Greer than Games on the list, is Spirit Island. Now, I don't actually own this because Dana... Um, came back from Gen Con with us and I got to play a bunch with him and I know you picked up a copy of it that you let me borrow. I literally played half a game with him and then went on my phone and bought it. <laughs> and that's actually really great because me and Eric, when we went to PAX Unplugged, we got to speak with kind of the head Christopher of Greater Than Games and he talked about how... Sounds like his title, The Head Christopher. <laughs> the Head Christopher. We got to speak with him and he mentioned how they've got a second reprint and it was already sold out by the time they were ready to pack some plugged and they brought like 750 copies and that was it for a while. Yeah. I've only gotten to play one game which is the only reason why it's not on my list 
But, yeah, I, I played, again, I played one game with Dana. He gave me this, like, lightning spirit that pretty much all it does is break faces. Which, which, is, which is perfect for your first time playing. I was going to say, it's perfect for you. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I will say this. This is a crunchy game, and it doesn't quite seem that way when you first look at the art. It looks a lot more open and friendly. This game will kick you in the face if you don't know what you're doing. And when I've played, I've tried playing at the bar, had an okay time, but it was very hard to teach in the bar setting. I brought it back to my house, and I got to play with my one friend, Jesse. And me and her, we went back and forth. We failed at a game. We failed at another game. We couldn't figure out what we were doing wrong. And then all of a sudden, we figured out the trick. We played two quick games in a row. We're like, we figured it out. Let's turn up the difficulty. No, we are brain burned by this game because it's very crunchy. Um, It does take a while. And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. But for me, in my current state, where I'm trying to teach a lot of games at the bar, this might have been number one for me. It's just right now... (laughs) doesn't quite work it just this game could have even been my number one at in certain certain points but just getting a group together to really sit down and play this all the time when oftentimes i'm playing at the bar didn't quite work for me and i believe that brings us to our number one my number one i'm actually surprised this wasn't higher on your list adam my number one is twilight imperium fourth edition um so, you do love some good dice chucking, don't you, Eric? Oh, God. I actually didn't roll a single die in yeah, that Eric, game. Eric, listeners, Eric never shot a single shot at us in our game, and he won. Yeah. Don't ask. Well, I was the trade empire, so I, I looked at my ships and my armies, and I looked at your ships and your armies, and I went, nope, and I just bought all the planetary defenses I could and just dug myself into a corner. Good man. Good man. Yeah. Well, because my, my whole thing was that I could trade with people who weren't adjacent to me, so... I just you know, dug myself into the corner so hard no one wanted to come after me, and I just and it sort of just manipulated the flow of events. He basically won the way he always wins board games, listeners, which is he <laughs> acts like he's not a threat and nobody cares about him, and then at the end of the game, it's just like, oh, by the way, I won. Yep. Which is really <sighs> funny because you're the guy who likes playing the Barbarian most often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, when it's a game that I'm not familiar with, that's how I do it. So, so what specifically was it about Twilight Imperium that gets at your number one? I mean, it's just a really good game, and I know that doesn't explain much, but just everything about it was fantastic, from the setup, the way we get to build the galaxy ourselves, there's so many different races to choose from, there's so many different strategies you can take, and they all work. I mean, Adam Adam was brute-forcing his way through the game, he had this huge fleet. I had the best fleet in the game easily, no one could contest me, and I still couldn't win. Yeah, although actually it was it came down to a hair. Actually, Otto threw me the win, otherwise Adam was going to win at the start of the next gotcha. turn. Yeah, yeah, but that's what happens when I'm in a war with Otto and Otto doesn't like me. He's like, well, I'll just hand the win to Eric. Here you go. The joy of three-player games. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, I had my quote-unquote economic victory. Adam was going for the military victory. I'm not entirely sure what Otto was doing. Being a pain in my side, that's what he was doing. <laughs> he was doing a good job of it, too. But yeah, it's just... Everything about it is so well made, and that's why I've got to make it number one. All right. My number one, and the reason Twilight Imperium didn't get it all the way up to the top here, is Spirit Island. Mm. Uh, For me, I have played probably close to a dozen games of it at this point with various people. Um, Everything just fires on all cylinders here. The component quality is really nice. The artwork is great. The mechanics are super tight. The theme works with the game. The first time I realized that like the theme 
uh, the mechanics mirror the theme, like the ocean spirit. Yes. His influence recedes back into the ocean, and then you have to push it back out onto the shore like the tides. I, I had a total geek out moment. Um, and this game is so generous. It gives you modules in the base box, so when it gets too easy and you're beating it too often, you can throw in scenarios, you can throw in extra cards and other things to make it harder. Um, it's, I, I would be very surprised to see this game not getting nominated for some like best of 2017 awards. If it sounded like I was being too harsh on it, remember it was my number two it's just one of those games that it's very different from everything else out there i think we can all agree on that yeah, yeah. and i tried to teach this game to family by the way and it was too complicated it, right. it took us way too long to get through the game and everyone said they enjoyed it when it was over but it was clear that this was not a game to bring out in those kinds of circumstances you need like veteran board gamers for this i would say you'd, you probably want to play it with more crunchy gamer type gamers mm -hmm. When I what I've realized is that when there's certain games that are new to me, like actually Terraforming Mars was like this, where I didn't quite get it, and when I was trying to play at a bar, it just didn't work for me. I brought it home, I played the solo version, I'm like, oh, there it is, that's how you play the game, that's the fun of it, and then I could kind of enjoy it after that point. My number one shouldn't be a surprise to either of you by this point, because you've Squirrel seen... Squirrel or Die? No, not Squirrel. Squirrel or Die is a fantastic game, but this is a game I was waiting for for about two years now, and you've probably seen me play this. I get to the. I've been getting to the bar nights early to get around in. We show we up to game night on Thursday, and Wyatt is already there with his one friend that he plays this with to squeeze the game in for the week before game night. Times times have gotten busy. Tell so the listeners what the game is, Wyatt. Pandemic Legacy Season Two. Um, this shouldn't be a surprise to a lot of people. A lot of folks out there have been waiting for the second Legacy game after the first one was so good and let me just say it out front the second one does not disappoint again it is a legacy and this one is very much based on spoilers so i can't say a lot i can just say what's pretty much on the back of the box which is it's 71 years about after sometime during the first season you failed horribly it's just kind of taking that into account and what you're doing from there is that you're kind of in one section of the world and right there on the on the back of the box and on the board it says you can recon you can start trying to explore the rest of the world and figure out a what happened b how to save who's left and c try to survive against a plague of some sort so it definitely turns a lot of pandemic as you know it on its head more than season one a lot more it adds back in what rob davio got a lot of praise for during seafall which is it has exploration where you definitely have this feeling of kind of rediscovering or uncovering clues and hints and all that in a much bigger way totally worth it the one thing that's been surprising for me whenever i've played it is i'm apologizing to people that come in who i don't really even know at board game night i'm like i'm sorry we're finishing up this game and we'll pull out some you know some big co-op games and they're like oh no no take your time i'm actually kind of enjoying watching you open up boxes and do this it's kind of intense and they're just drinking their cocktails watching it like it's a movie that's really cool actually it actually made me more tense because then when we screwed up and we had like three outbreaks and we're like, oh no, we're losing. We'd actually hear, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? You're going to have to tell me how it ends. I mean, for you specifically, when you're when it's over, if you, if you guys do good or if you do not do good. The first season, me and Jesse wiped the floor. Like we just had this set up where we'd play two or three games every two weeks. We'd get together and just knock out two or three games. And we got into this cadence. We did really well early on. And I think we only lost two games out of the entire first season. The second season, we are only just going into July, because you play over the course of a year in-game, and we have half wins, half losses, and we're not feeling good about it. So they Excellent. definitely ramped up the difficulty for people that are good at Pandemic, because everyone's played it by this point. 
And I believe that is it for board games. Board games, right. Yep. Oh, and we should, we should mention uh, to the listeners that we have, uh, this is a very quick recap of our favorites from the year, uh, but if you're looking for more information on most of these games, we have articles up about them. I think Twilight Imperium might, uh, Twilight Imperium and maybe Tigris and Euphrates are the only ones maybe we haven't really right. written anything about on the site. So if you go on to spritesanddice.com and you want to see what we think about these games, we have more there for you. So I think we went from Eric to me last, so we'll go back towards Eric this time. <clears throat> All right. So uh, for my honorable mention, and I know this is probably surprising, it's not higher on my list, Endless Space 2 is my honorable mention for only one reason. It's very commonly known that 4X games get better with time. It's one of those few board games, or sorry, it's one of those few types of video games that actually improves with age as the developer kind of retweaks, rebalances, and actually adds expansions. And... Endless Space 2, ours already had two or three free upgrades, adding in new minor factions, adding in a different element of diplomacy, adding in another element of adding fighters and bombers to the space wars, as it were. It's a fantastic game, but it came out with a few bugs, and it needs a little bit more push. I know they're going to be releasing an expansion sometime soon, or, sorry, announcing it sometime soon, and I'm really excited to see what they come with in the future. It's the only reason why it's not further on is that it released with a few too many bugs. Uh, my honorable mention is Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. This game really took me by surprise. I was hearing really good things about it. It was digital download only, you know, 30 bucks. So I got it on PlayStation, and it absolutely floored me. I, I think it won three awards at the Game Awards this year, including mm -hmm. Most Impactful and uh, the top performance for um, Lena Jurgens Because it was trying a lot of different new things. People either loved it or hated it, really. I think it was it was really interesting how it portrays, you know, mental illness and, and what Senua goes through. Um, I've got a whole article up uh, about this one, too. And, you know, it's quick. I finished it in two evenings. But I would recommend it to anyone who's looking for something a little different. My honorable mention is... I recently published an article about the game that came before this one, Oh Sir, the Insult Simulator, which is basically, and this is my honorable mention because there's no way I can justify putting it on the list with the other titles that I have, but my god, for a few bucks on Steam, I've never laughed so hard in months. It's a one-on-one -on -one game where you and your opponent take turns picking out phrases from a communal pool and use this to create the best insult that you can. And that insult deals damage to your opponent's pride. And the first person to lose all their pride first loses the match. And the insults... In the original version, everyone was British, so there were fantastic accents on top of this. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Hollywood Roast, which came out in 2017, there's characters, there's a spoof of Harry Potter, there's a spoof of Deadpool. Oh, there's, dear. Yeah, the characters oh, are just my. fantastic. And the insults are things like, your stunt double polishes your trailer with cheesecake. They're just ridiculous insults. Mm. Sometimes they work out really well, sometimes they don't, but it's always hilarious. And apparently I just discovered there's an app for it, too, for your phone. Oh, so yeah, you're just going to be laughing randomly in public now. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my number three is Hob. Uh, Hob would actually probably made it a little bit further up on this list, except that it did come out with a few technical glitches that were ironed out. This is a fantastic game that tried some really interesting things in the adventure platforming genre, and I loved every second of playing this game. It was a fantastic playthrough. 
imagine a kind of Zelda-ish slash Mario game, but with no dialogue, not even text anywhere except for in the menus, essentially. It, it, teach, it plays the entire game through by kind of environmental clues. The world feels like a character because as you're going through it, you're being attacked by various monsters. You find this kind of corrupting influence. You're trying to figure out what happened, what is it doing here. And when you finally get to the final boss, there's a lot left to interpretation. And if you go on the forums, you'll actually see a lot of people kind of trying to decide, wait, what was the choice at the end of the game? Why were you trying to do things? Like, you know, trying to figure out what the whole plot is. And it's very interesting in that way. I tried a lot of things, and I really appreciated it. I'm really sad that Runic Games closed right after publishing this game. Um, it was a great game, but I don't think it was the time for that company to go out on. And it was a great game to kind of wrap things up with. It was fantastic. Uh, so for my number three, the reason Hellblade is an honorable mention as much as I seem to be gushing about it is because ultimately, I mean, it is so very, very, very quick. And I don't know that I would necessarily play it through more than once or twice. On the flip side, my number three is Endless Space 2, which I've already lost track of how many hours I I've put into it because <laughs> a game can take multiple evenings. I'm glad I've inflicted this game on you. Yes. It, it has sucked me in like a black hole. Each race is so unique and distinct, and Eric's making faces at me behind. Oh, okay. Can't keep it away from me. Uh, like, when I, when I look at this game, it's not just like, oh, let's put some asymmetrical races in it. It's like, let's put the races in, and they are 100% different completely from mm -hmm. each other. They all have very weird twists, and I love how it weaves like a personal story for your race mm -hmm. that you can make choices in throughout the course of the game in addition to actually playing the game. And I should be clear about this, I don't play 4X games. They're too big, they're too long, they're too complicated, and I'm not interested in them. And I am, I just love this game, so. I want to get Eric to start playing, and I think Twilight Imperium. But as yeah, a I know. Game. In it's, fact, when I wanted to get wide into Twilight Imperium, I sold it to him as endless space to the board game. <laughs> God, can I finish XCOM 2 first? You're no, you're never... It's going to keep kicking you in the face until you give up. Okay? I know, I know it is. I took off <laughs> Iron Man mode. Maybe I'll get through this time. I'm, I'm really bad at XCOM. Uh, for me, again, Endless Space 2, one reason why Endless Space is up on the list and, and for a lot of people actually supplanted Civilization is because of how... The game is an art piece. The menus are just so pleasing to click through. Yeah. You can feel the interface coming through your mouse and keyboard. It's just, there's no other 4X game I've seen that's like this game. The so. art, the music. The music. is a different race, uh. it feels, you feel like a different race because everyone, when you play as a Lumeris, you have this kind of shady, mafia-esque horn section always in the background. Right. Right, and I love I love the Riftborn, who are kind of exiles from their dimension in ours, and they, they just can't come to terms with it at the beginning. And their theme is this very stark piano with, like, nothing behind it at the very beginning. And it has this very lonely tone to it that I just love. And it adds the clock pieces in and everything. Yeah, it's a great game, and it, it's very... It has a lot of theme, and that's great for a 4X game. My number three is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Game of the Year at the Game Awards, I hear. Yeah, it, it did very well for itself. Um, personally, the reason I don't have it higher is because I felt like they could have done more with it, mm. which might be a weird thing to say given the massive world that they built. But what I found exploring that massive world was there just wasn't enough in it. You know, they, they had all these shrines, and eventually they were more or less all the same. Mm. You only need to do so many. 
the bosses were all like, where are the iconic Zelda bosses? There was no Goma. There was no Manhandla, the little pincher plant thing. Right. There was none of that. It was just here's Ganon, here's another Ganon, here's another Ganon, here's the big Ganon. Okay, you're done. I love what they're doing with it, and I'd love to f- see them find the way to mesh that with a more classic Zelda title. Mm. But right now, it's it, it's a good game. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. But I just didn't think they did enough with it. So for me, I was actually, uh, last, last few nights of Hanukkah, my wife got me a Switch and was asking, okay, what one or two games do you want to start with? And I did not say Breath of the Wild for one reason. They just came out with the second DLC, and mm-hmm. there's already been you know two sets of this. So I'm going to guess there's going to be a Game of the Year edition because I've only heard great things about the DLC adding on more content, which might fill in part of that emptiness, which I've heard yeah. before. Yeah. Um, I, I'm planning to pick up a Switch probably after the holidays are over, so I'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, speaking of the Switch, I did just get it very much this week or two, and already I can say what my number two game is, and it's Mario Odyssey. And normally I don't like to jump to conclusions about games that quickly, because again, I just got this game. But the reason why is that it has recaptured that lightning in a bottle that every so often Nintendo is able to pull out. And that's the sense of wonder, the sense of joy. I was again 10 years old playing Super Mario World for the first time, trying to figure out how to beat a boss, and then you figure it out. Right? It just takes a stick and pokes you in the brain right at that point that's like, fun! Release fun into the brain! Yes! It actually, I kind of want to call it like the Harry Potter effect. Like, why did Harry Potter kind of capture people's attention so much? And it's because it was a magical world. And yes, we've had that everywhere. But it kind of took it from a kid's perspective and the wonder of kind of relearning what magic is. And that's kind of what Mario does every single time. The fact that it made it a much bigger world. It's able to use the Switch control so well. When you when you start a level and you're like, oh, hey, oh, by the way, I can actually turn into a T-Rex. And then by the end of it, you can do whatever the heck you want with it. It's just a fantastic experience all the way through. So, segueing into my number two is Mario Odyssey. <laughs> you know, like, it, it does that thing that Zelda, I have always loved, does, where it teaches you in the course of the level, like, hey, here's the set of skills you're going to need to know. And then you get to the boss, and you're like, oh, wait, I'm using that skill now mm. to beat the boss. And, you know, on the one side, I've heard Breath of the Wild, that that complaint about the two emptiness. Mm -hmm. Like, you can climb all the way up to the top of a mountain, but what's there to find there? Maybe nothing. Maybe you get, like, an extra seed or something. And it's like, in Mario, you are rewarded for looking everywhere. You see a strange building somewhere or a dune, and Mm -hmm. you want to go check it out. There's probably a power moon hidden out there. It rewards you for looking everywhere you want to look, doing whatever you want to do. I got through the first three worlds within, you know, like an hour or two. Right. And it's like, oh, you can keep moving on. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the same content I've already played because I'm having so much fun in that world looking for stuff. And I went back and went back through the first three worlds. I started taking my time coming back to the Odyssey just to see how many power moons I could grab Mm -hmm. on the way back or on the way in. And then just for fun, I clicked into the menu to see how many I was missing. It's like, oh, yeah, you got half of them. Hmm. What? I I haven't played a whole lot of Mario Odyssey, but I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, I just know I was sold on Mario Odyssey ever since that trailer with the song with Jump Up Superstar. (laughs) I, I Uh, I think this entire group of podcasters can say we've all become converts to the Switch in the last month or month or two. Mm-hmm. Whereas oh. I was holding off, I was holding off, not going to get it, not going to get it. I had a feeling it. it was going to be good. It was just a question of when I was mm-hmm. going to buy it. I'm still sitting on my Wii U. My number two is not Super Mario Odyssey. My number two <laughs> is 
the Shovel Knight prequel slash expansion Spectre of Torment. This has been uh, a fa fan favorite for you for a long time. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and I hesitated to put it on the list because Shovel Knight didn't come out this year, obviously. But this really is like an entire proper prequel where you play as Spectre Knight before he's Spectre Knight and you have to go around and gather the other members of the Order. And it plays sort of like Shovel Knight, sort of not. It's got a completely different style where Shovel Knight just smacks things around with his shovel. Spectre Knight's got this weird thing where he'll like get this little ghostly targeting line then you can fly over and slash him mm -hmm. and it'll propel you and you can chain it to get through obstacles. It's just a really solid platformer with some really cool mechanics. And it is a bit grimmer than Shovel Knight's usual fare. Isn't, like, each expansion kind of... Well, it's a different knight, so it's their own tone. Yeah. Like, like Shovel Knight, the, the original, was, like, half goofy, half serious. Plague Knight was just absolutely silly. And Spectre Knight is actually pretty dark. Good enough. So I think that brings us to number one. I'm kind of, when I was making my list, I realized a lot of my lists are sort of taking a individual genre and capstoning it with either something that's brand new, really interesting, or kind of revitalizing it to kind of show you why that genre is so good. For me, my number one is Horizon Zero Dawn. It is a phenomenal game. For, for a long while, AAA games weren't doing much for me. I was kind of just like, I'm done with it. I... They're not working out. I don't need to play another Call of Duty. I don't need to kind of play a fifth iteration of Halo, even though I liked Halo growing up. And Horizon Zero Dawn... And Skyrim is one of those things where it was an open world, but it's too open. It doesn't have a very kind of straightforward story arc, which is a good or bad thing. Horizon Zero Dawn hits that sweet spot where it tells a story. It tells it well. It has combat that's unique. It has a story that's unique. It still has an open world experience, but at the same time, you're not just going to be stuck collecting flowers for 30 hours or, oh, here's a pot, I'm going to use it and throw it at villagers' heads. Like, it doesn't have that ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. I love that it has just enough where you can go off to a corner of the world and say, hey, maybe I can find something here and just enjoy a fight against a random monster. To summarize, in one very explicit reason, you fight robot dinosaurs, which everyone says, oh yeah, it looks like a great gimmick, it's a great log line for why you should play a game because it's unique. It is a game where you fight robot dinosaurs that has no major plot holes. What? That's that's what should sell you on the game. It, I haven't played this one yet. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna It mixes the AAA production. It is probably one of the prettiest games out there. It's gorgeous. And then the the plot, the way that they actually give you the plot over time, both in terms of basic linear story and what you can collect in the world, it is a treasure to play through. My wife sat through the entire game and would not let me play it without her around, even when I was just randomly going around collecting certain areas or fighting particular side missions that didn't really have anything to do with the main crux of the story because it was that entertaining. My number one is going to be Assassin's Creed Origins, which has basically consumed me for the last week. Um, it's got that same really satisfying thing that Mario Odyssey has, where like it just rewards you for going in any direction, and you're going to run into something and explore, and you can do it. This one piqued my interest when I, because I kind of lost interest in the Assassin's Creed series for a while when I had heard that it was from from a source I trust better than Black Flag. And in my opinion, okay. Black Flag really brought it back to what was good about Assassin's Creed. Kind of challenging, it wasn't too easy, and it had a great story. So I jumped into Assassin's Creed Origins and it has not disappointed. It's wonderful to play, I love the mechanics. 
I love the gameplay. It gives you a lot of freedom to customize how you, you want to be, like, more range, more tools, more melee. It's got a wonderful story. The acting is great. I am actually a little sad if I'm going through the main story too quickly because I, I kind of want to make it last a little more. Mm. But there's a lot of extras to do in this game, too, so I can see myself being very busy with it for a very long time. Um, I do not own the 4K version, but I have heard that the 4K version of Assassin's Creed Origins is probably one of the prettiest things on console. I believe that means our uh, last number one is going to be Eric. Close us out. All right, my number one pick for the year is Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age, which, I mean, you know me, I'm a long-standing Final mm -hmm. Fantasy fan, and mm -hmm. this was my first foray into the, the modern Final Fantasy era, post-10. And it's and a weird one. It is, but you know, it, it bridges the gap really well. I, I came to love the Gambit system. Um, it takes a lot of the tedium out of a JRPG by just letting your guys fight for you. Mm -hmm. And the story for a Final Fantasy game was pretty easy to follow. Well, yep. I mean, relatively speaking, you know me. I, I when we had the big Final Fantasy episode, I said my favorite one is Tactics, yeah. <laughs> unironically. And same major producer kind of worked on this one, and it's his baby of Ivalis, that world, and it feels different. It feels different than other numbered games. Yeah. My one warning is uh, when you go into the final area and it tells you you can't go back, you can't go back, including <laughs> after you win. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. So uh, if. If I wanted to explore some more, I have to go play through the whole thing all over again. So, yeah, but believe it when it tells you that. <laughs> Don't do what I did and assume you can go back after you beat the final boss. All right, then. I believe that is it. However, one of the reasons why our lists are this way is that, again, we all have full-time jobs. These are some of the games we could get to this year, and we know there are so many other games that we want to play. So we want to take a quick moment at the end of here and kind of talk about our pile of shame, or as we're going to try to put a positive spin on it, is our New Year's resolutions to kind of go back and enjoy some really good gems of 2017. That we missed. That we missed. So, um, Adam, you can go first for this. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, so. Uh, my video game New Year's resolution slash pile of shame here is Horizon Zero Dawn because I have been hearing nothing but how incredible this game is. I don't think I've heard anyone say anything bad about it. I need to play it. And as far as board games go... I'm going to play Dice Throne. Okay. Because that's, that. I've again, been hearing wonderful things. Got to try it. Well, you're actually ahead of the schedule because I believe it officially comes out in 2018. They just had some copies at the convention at PAX Unplugged. Oh, is that why you were playing it at game night? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you're both ahead and behind. So wonderful. You're, you're good. Perfect for a New Year's <laughs> resolution. <laughs> All right. Uh, my video game resolution, aside from, like, everything that they said, uh, my, my <laughs> actual New Year's resolution is to play Super Mario Odyssey, mm -hmm. is to just... Get the Switch and go for it. And then, as far as board games, it's going to be Starfinder, which I wanted so much to put Starfinder on my list, but I've only played like a one-hour demo. I didn't even get to try the Starship combat. So I have got to find a group and get some Starfinder under it, my belt. It looks fantastic, but always finding a good RPG group is a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. For my pile of shame, I'm going to say Breath of the Wild. It's one of those games where I wanted to get it right when I got my Switch just recently i've wanted to play other people's copies and they actually would lend it to me but i said no i'm going to hold off i'm waiting for that game of the year that's going to come out i know it's going to come out this next year i'll pick it up then with all the dlc wrapped in and i'm going to love the heck out of that game uh for board games it shouldn't be a surprise gloomhaven has been calling to me with its siren song 
an RPG system in a box that's 20 pounds, that has 70 plus scenarios in it, and what, 17, 15, 16 characters? Something like that, yeah. Give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> I just really want to play through that, but again, just like Netrunner, or we used to play a miniatures game like Malifaux, I know once I start, I will not stop. So I have to get through all the shrink wrap board games behind me from PAX Unplugged to review and write about before I can get to that as my reward. And I believe that is it. We would love to hear what your actual either New Year's resolutions are, what your top three are, what your favorite game was. If you want to leave us a comment either on the podcast itself, in review form or otherwise, or if you want to leave a leave us a uh, comment right on our website or Twitter. Definitely do that. We want to hear that and have that conversation with you. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening in. Did you like what you heard today and want more of our content? Check us out at www.spritesanddice.com for all of our articles updated every week. You can follow us on Twitter at Sprites and Dice or follow our Facebook group to be notified about all of our posts and events. These episodes are possible thanks to the support of our listeners and readers and everyone out there that loves picking up a controller or a pair of dice. If you want to support the Sprites and Dice project, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or stop by our Patreon. Every dollar helps. Thank you for being a gamer. Remember, everyone, life is short, so have fun gaming.